From the Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, this is Getting Ethics to Work, the podcast that tackles the trickier moral dilemmas that you might face in the workplace. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Berry. For each episode of Getting Ethics to Work, we discuss a case or issue and unpack the difficult and often hidden ethical tensions that can make it hard to get along with others at work. And by the way, case is just an ethicist word for story. Now, before we get started, I want to remind everyone that we are not lawyers and are not offering legal expertise. But as an ethicist, I can assure you that you're not alone if you feel like you're working in a dictatorship and there's something you can do about it. And if you'd like what you've been hearing and want to help us out, the best thing you can do is recommend the show to a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I hope you'll consider doing that. So Andy, I know this is an episode that you've wanted to do for a while. Do you want to tell us what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah. Ever since we had Elizabeth Anderson on a few episodes ago on Protestant work ethic and bullshit jobs, I've been thinking about her other book called Private Governments. It's a fascinating book, but in that book, she makes the case that workplaces exert enormous power over you. And they operate like little mini dictatorships. They're, they're not very democratic. It's, it's very top down. And I've just been fascinated with this idea. And if you Google something like, I'm working in a dictatorship, or am I working in a dictatorship? I mean, you just see tons and tons of articles about, you know, is your boss a dictator? Are you working in a dictatorship? There's all these articles about it. And so I think Liz Anderson is tapping into a frustration that a lot of people probably feel, which is they feel like they're trapped. They feel like they're, they are working in a dictatorship where they don't really have much say over their work conditions or their work life. And so rather than do a specific case, didn't you have a quote from a, an article on Liz Anderson's book that kind of summarizes kind of just how weird things can be out there in some work environments? Uh, yeah, this is from a New Yorker article by Joshua Rothman. And it goes like this. Anderson reports that audits by the Department of Labor have found sweatshop-like conditions in 93% of garment factories in Southern California. In many poultry plants, employees are denied bathroom breaks and must wear adult diapers. 41% of workers have unpredictable schedules, with employers summoning and dismissing them at will. 90% of restaurant workers say that they have been sexually harassed. Millions of employees are subject to drug screening without cause. According to some studies of wage theft, as many as $50 billion is stolen from workers every year by employers who simply refuse to pay. Now that's just alarming, right? Absolutely. And that's sort of the worst of it. But I, I think this probably just runs the gamut, right? That like you don't have to be in deplorable conditions to feel like... Although those conditions exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although those conditions exist. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I, I just suspect that a lot of people's work environments, even if they're not as deplorable as those, still are going to feel very much like they're working for a toxic dictator in some way, shape or form. So dictators might involve, you know, lots of other things, you know, yelling or abusive language, even resorting to certain kinds of violence. Lots of bullying, or I can think of bosses who make rules just because, because what they want to see is that you'll follow their rule. And what, so they'll make increasingly sort of ridiculous demands because it's about obedience rather than getting the job done. Yeah, loyalty tests and things like that. Or maybe like asking for favors that you feel like 
you can't say no to, you know, take me to the airport, go water my plants, having you be their personal assistant when that's not really like in your job description and it's not like a promotable job task. Sure. It could even creep into your personal life. Our bossage episode talked about bosses who sort of use their position to force direct reports to be their friends. If we're going with this dictator metaphor that you're sort of the jester, (laughs) that you just have to entertain them, even though that's not your job. In the quote, you mentioned being summoned at will. That's sort of like, you know, you're at home and suddenly you have to drop whatever it is you're doing, playing with your kids or whatever, and come into work. And you just have no control over that. But I can imagine there are micro versions of that summoning at will inside the workplace. So, you know, it's not summoning you to the office from your home, but in the workplace, maybe it's you're constantly expected to drop just whatever it is you're doing at any moment to appease the whims of your supervisor, something like that. Sure. I've heard about people who, instead of sending emails or texts or slacks, would send their reports to just go talk to that other person that their job, even though it wasn't their job description, but they would be basically the messenger service in the building, which is doesn't seem like a good use of anybody's time when email exists. I think there's a lot of interesting things to unpack here. And also, I do think there is a deeply entrenched moral disagreement here. I think there are a lot of people out there who might think it is perfectly fine uh, that businesses operate in this way. If it's a private company, the boss owns the company, you know, they, they are entitled to ask their workers to do whatever they want, as long as it's not illegal. And there's nothing wrong with that. If it's a publicly traded company, again, the CEO or those people, they were put in place. And however they choose to get the job done with the people they've hired or put on their team, they're just free to do that, again, as long as it's not illegal. So I think some people are going to say, what's wrong with these places being like dictatorships? But then I imagine most workers are going to be like, there's a lot that's wrong with it. And so I think there's a real serious disagreement in corporate America about work life here that I think it's kind of worth unpacking. I think you're right. And I'm wondering if some of the smaller issues that might be representative of a dictatorship, if you accept those and say those are just part of the job, you get paid, that maybe that paves the way to excuse some of the more egregious behaviors that we talked about in that initial quote that, you know, if you think it's okay to sort of treat your employees time badly or yell at them or make rules just because you want them to be followed then maybe then it becomes more acceptable to not allow people bathroom breaks or not pay people or make them work in really dangerous conditions because that also is just part of a job and you get paid for that. I guarantee you there are people out there who would reason that way. And that's probably how they convince themselves that what they're doing in that Anderson quote is okay. So let's get to work. Great. This one feels heavy. (laughs) It does. It sure does. But let's do it. Okay. So I think the first thing is for those of you who are kind of feeling this way, for those of our listeners who are like, yeah, it does feel like I don't have a whole lot of control and I feel kind of trapped. I just want to validate those feelings. Big businesses, you know, they didn't really exist in their current form when the Constitution was written. So I'm going to go back to this Liz Anderson idea that they're almost like these private governments. The reality was there were two political entities. There were individuals and there were states. And the Constitution was basically an experiment on how we could place constraints on arbitrary abuses of power. That's what we were sort of concerned with. How do we prevent a dictator from taking over everything, right? 
Anderson's claim is that businesses are now so big and these huge like structures that exert enormous power and influence that, that they should be kind of in the category of a state. And, and she calls them private governments for that reason. And if you look at the way they operate, they do tend to seem like they're not democratically run, right? They, they seem to be more like there's a person at top who's got, you know, some people working beneath him or her, and they call the shots, they dictate the vision, the strategy, all that kind of stuff. And then everybody else is just given marching orders. I mean, they're literally dictating what it is you're supposed to be doing. And there might be feedback sessions and listening sessions and things like that. But at the end of the day, they get to be the deciders. And there's really no way to get rid of them if you don't like what they're doing, right? There's no there's no process of elections to get rid of leaders uh, who are, you know, abusing their power. There is something to this idea that, that, that workplaces are these large social structures that have enormous power over you. And the way a lot of employers behave is it's, you know, my way or the highway. And so I think it can feel like you're living in a dictatorship. There's, there is something to this idea. I don't think it's that silly of an idea. But I think that a lot of people would respond saying that you are free to leave, that if you don't like your job, go get another job. Does that seem like a good response to this idea that some businesses are run like dictatorships? So I think that argument that you're free to leave is very, very attractive for a lot of people because what they think of as freedom is a very narrow kind of understanding of what freedom is, where, where freedom is like you're not being restrained physically by anybody. It's not like the boss locks the doors and says, you can't go until this gets done, right? The boss is saying, look, if you don't like it, there's the door. That language is almost cliche, right? Like I, I feel like I've seen movies where I've seen those cliches, right? There's the door. That's a kind of office cliche. No one's stopping you. Those cliches really are ways to communicate that fundamental argument for why bosses think they get to be so hard on employees. Because if they don't like it, they can leave. As if that's the only pressure that would keep you in a job. Exactly. And as if that's what freedom really amounts to. This is a good time to actually reflect on what freedom amounts to. So let me start here. If we get stuck on the idea that your freedom isn't deprived unless you are physically restrained and thrown in jail, something along those lines, I think that's how we get there. But think about the reason being physically restrained and thrown in jail is a violation of freedom. I don't think it's because of the physical restraint. I think it's because something really, really bad happens to you because you didn't obey. That's just a really, really bad consequence of not obeying. What people are doing when they don't feel like they're free is... They're, they're avoiding really bad consequences. In a weird way, you could say like, hey, you're free to leave, but I am going to chain you to the floor if you try to walk out that door. Now you're free. You're free to try. You're free to leave, but I'm going to do this thing 
right? Anytime you threaten to do something bad as a consequence of disobedience, if, if you put someone in a situation where that's kind of a forced choice and it forces them to comply, I think there's a really strong case to be made that you are, in fact, denying them some options or denying them some, some autonomy. Think of all the times that you felt like you just had to say yes to the boss, that you just couldn't say no. Why didn't you quit? Why didn't you quit? And when you ask someone that, they're going to give me a reason. And whatever that reason is, I'll point to a coercive power that your boss has over you, right? I'll point to something that really does seem like your freedom isn't really that much of a freedom. And the reality is the way work life is structured in the United States, there are so many horrible things that can happen to you if you lose your job. Some of those things are going to be regarded by some people as bad as being thrown in jail, right? That they're, they're going to be really, really horrible consequences from leaving a job and not being able to find gainful employment elsewhere. Sure. The one that jumps out to me is health insurance, that if you lose your job, you may lose health insurance, which is keeping you or a dependent alive. And in that way, you're not really free to leave. You need to stay in that job because you need that health insurance because it's maybe life support for you or someone you love. There are even smaller things like leaving your job. It can be hard to get another job, especially if you're seen as a job hopper. That if maybe you got really unlucky and you had a couple bad bosses in a row and you're like, I just can't do this. I have to get out. But then your resume is going to start looking a little shaky and then it may be harder and harder for you to get a good job. You may end up at another dictatorship because they may be the only one who will hire you. Yep. The reality is that that freedom to leave is is super time sensitive, just like you noted, right? Like you, you can do it once. Maybe maybe you get into a job position and you realize you're working for an unreasonable dictator, but you leave that job after six months and you realize oh, you're working for another unreasonable dictator. People look at your resumes and like, man, this person can't hold down a job, right? This idea that you can just decide to leave employment if you don't like your dictator boss doesn't hold much merit in my mind. It just doesn't seem like it's that easy of a thing to do. And I think the people who say, well, you could always leave would might even acknowledge that, that it'll start to reflect poorly on you. But that seems like even more pressure to keep you in a bad job under a dictator that they'd say, sure, you can go. It's going to start to look sketchy. You're going to start to look unreliable, but you can go. And that is more subtle pressure to keep you in a bad job. That's a really good point. And, and notice the, the boss who says, you don't like it. There's the door. Deep down, they know you're not free to leave. The reason they know you're not free to leave is because they can boldly assert that. They boldly assert that because they know there is something chaining you to that job. There's something that's tying you there. The only reason that boss can so arrogantly proclaim you're free to leave is because deep down they know you're not. If you were really free to leave and you were a valuable employee, they would not say things like that. They'd be worried. The only time a boss can confidently say that is when that boss knows your job is basically your only good option at the moment. This idea that people are free to leave their jobs just strikes me as though it's got a, a really naive conception of what freedom amounts to. Okay, well, this is starting to get really depressing. Um, where should we start looking for solutions to these bad dictatorship workplace situations? 
I have some thoughts about where some of those solutions might lie, but it might be interesting to look at, is there a case to be made that workplaces ought to function more democratically? You know, just because we've raised suspicion about a defensive dictatorships doesn't mean we have made the case that they're bad. It doesn't mean that we've argued for the claim that workplaces should be more democratic. So I think it might be worth just putting on the table some reasons for thinking that maybe workplaces should operate a little bit more democratically. And then we could talk about, you know, what folks could do. Okay. So what are some reasons why we might think that democracy might be a better template for a workplace than dictatorship? Some of the general arguments for democracy being a good thing for governance. I mean, one of the main arguments is that it's it's how you establish political legitimacy. Why does the U.S. government get to tell people what to do in certain circumstances? Well, because it's a democratic government. So in a sense, the people chose it, right? And so they, they sort of, in, in many ways, they've consented to be governed. If decisions were a bit more democratic in the workplace, I think it would give team leaders a little bit more authority to be like, no, we're going in this direction. Why are we going in this direction? Because you all chose it, right? Like we 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 came together and we decided that this was going to be our decision making procedure. Everybody agreed, and then this is this is the direction we chose. And I mean, if you think about it, there's something to this. Here's a, here's a fun thought experiment. If you have a team where someone is an authoritarian dictator, just saying like this is how it's going to go and is not really consultative or deliberative, like teams aren't really deciding what seems more democratically on how to proceed. If the dictator boss says, okay, we're going to go in this direction, I feel like I'm less upset, or I would be less upset if someone were to drag their heels or behave in passive aggressive ways. Whereas opposed to if, if it had been more deliberative and democratic and like, you know, we had a lot of listening sessions that were genuine listening sessions and everybody got to weigh in. And then there was kind of like a team vote on, on how to proceed. You got something like consensus. If someone passive aggressively drags their heels, then I think people would have more reason to be upset with that person. What that thought experiment tells me is there is something to the idea that you can hold people uh, more accountable for their behavior if the processes by which decisions were made seemed to function a little bit more democratically. I think also in favor of democracy, and now you could probably argue that these are not the most scientific polls, but I have seen things that say stability, trust, and happiness are higher in democratic countries than in countries that are not so democratic. You could argue then that might also hold true for workplaces and that there may be happier employees and people who are less likely to leave and more likely to trust in their management if it's run a little bit more like a democracy. Yeah, that seems right. I mean, people are going to be more engaged. You're going to have more engaged employees if they feel like they had voice in the process and if they have voice in the way things operate. So, so not only like just on the projects you're doing, but just like what workplace culture is like, all that kind of stuff, how internal governance works, just having voice in that yeah, I think it would lead to more stability, trust, and probably overall happiness. So those are all reasons why it seems like not only dictatorial workplaces are bad, but democratic workplaces might be good. So can we start thinking solutions? How, how could we start putting this into play, even if in the abstract we can say democracy good, dictatorship bad? 
I think Liz Anderson's solutions are mostly regulatory and take sort of a restructuring of the way businesses work. Um, while we're waiting for something like that, how could an individual or a group of individuals start to change their workplace, especially when it feels so impossible and futile and that there's no way to change the culture of their workplace? Uh, that's a good question. And I, I do want to focus not on Liz Anderson's recommendations about regulation, but on what what you can do in the workplace tomorrow. So I think one thing is whenever you're dealing with a huge systemic problem like climate change or you know racism in the workplace or racism in our country, like these big systemic problems where you sort of think like, what can I do? Well, at, le- at least one thing you can do is play your part. Do whatever it is you can do to advance uh, the interests of that thing. So what might that look like if you're looking to have a workplace operate more democratically? Operate more democratically yourself, right? Model democratic leadership in the workplace. Think about what that would look like to have your teams operate more democratically. Another way to play your part, be mindful of dictatorial behaviors. Any of those things we mentioned at the beginning, when when you have rules that people don't want to follow, are you keeping them in place just because you want to make sure that they're loyal to you? Stop that kind of stuff. When you're asking for favors, be be real mindful as to what kind of favors those are. Are they work-related kinds of things? In general, avoiding those dictatorial type of behaviors and modeling democratic leadership type behaviors would be a good way to start. You know, Steve Jobs has a really great quote on this. He said something like, we don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. Yeah. And so the idea is if you're hiring good people, show a little trust, give them some voice Give them some ownership over the projects and the tasks you're working on and and listen to them. I think that's a great point. There's also a couple of Ask a Managers with Allison Green that I really love, but her, her point is essentially that if you're employing good workers, that they should have this ownership and that they can be trusted to do their work and that you don't hire people to do all of their work for them to dictate exactly what it looks like. And that she has a quote that I really like that says, your authority is a tool you have to ensure that everything runs well, but it is not an end unto itself. I think that's great. And I think that it can be easy when you're in charge to feel like people owe you loyalty or that asking them to to jump just so that they will jump. But actually, you have better employees if they are able to make good decisions without you and without you having to exercise that authority. Other things that you can do to play your part awareness raise, right? Like, you know, spread the good word that there are other ways that work life can operate and they don't have to be these dictatorships. Send this podcast episode to like 10 of your friends. Or pick up a copy of Liz Anderson's Private Governments. Definitely check that out. We've spoken vaguely about what democratic leadership looks like. Uh, we've talked about like giving people voice, letting them have a say in the meetings. We didn't, we didn't really get down to like any kind of specifics. So one thing you could do is you could explore workplace strategies uh, and recommendations that do seem to be moving more in a democratic or non-dictatorial direction. We'll link to these in the show notes, but there's this concept of situational leadership, which is the idea of finding a right balance of when you provide more directive, dictate how the job goes, and when you give people more freedom and autonomy over the way they conduct their work lives. And it's a good sort of 
concrete sets of strategies to figure out when you should engage in one kind of leadership behavior versus the other. The idea is you, you're sort of modifying your leadership style to the situation. There's this idea of stakeholder capitalism as opposed to shareholder capitalism. Uh, shareholder capitalism sort of only looks out for the interests of the shareholders, the people who own stock in the company. But stakeholder capitalism is this idea that business decisions can and should be designed to take into account all of the stakeholders of the business decisions. And so there's a whole bunch of literature out there about this if you're interested in the concept of stakeholder capitalism. And again, stakeholder capitalism seems to be a movement away from dictatorial workplace structures. There is also this interesting uh, movement now called B Corporation Structures. Again, this is also a kind of structure for organizations that's getting away from uh, what you might call shareholder capitalism. And in fact, we have a podcast episode on that entire topic. It's called To Be Corp or Not To Be Corp with Christopher Marquis. Yes. So you should check that out. Other models of leadership that are arguably getting away from the idea of like a dictator model might be a concept called servant leadership. Many of our listeners have probably heard of that uh, before, but again, we're going to link to something like that in the show notes. And then if any of these things resonate with you, then I think it's worth having a conversation with some folks in your office like, hey, might it be worth exploring operating in this way? And maybe you and a group of people can get together and strategize on how you might collectively get together and try to persuade the powers that be that there's a different and hopefully better way to do things. Thanks so much for joining us as we try to get ethics to work. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Barry. If you have a dilemma or tension that you're dealing with in the workplace, email me at katherineberry at depaw.edu and maybe we'll talk through your issue on the air. I really hope you take Kate up on that. I also hope you can take some of what we discussed here and get it to work. If you want to learn more about what we talked about on the show today, check out our show notes page at prindleinstitute.org slash work. That's all one word, get ethics to work. Remember to subscribe to get new episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. But regardless of where you subscribe, please be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It is still the best place for us to meet new listeners. Getting Ethics to Work is hosted by the Janet Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. Our logo was created by Smallbox. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions and can be found online at www.sessions.blue. Our show is made possible with the generous support of DePauw alumni, friends of the Prindle Institute, and you, the listeners. Thank you for your support. The views expressed here are the opinions of the individual speakers alone. They do not represent the position of DePauw University or the Prindle Institute for Ethics.